We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. Hello and welcome to the Pragmatic Doulas podcast. Hello, y'all. Good morning, or whatever time it is for you at this moment. Morning for us. It's morning for us. Now, I'm in a t-shirt, Suzanne is in a t-shirt, and Stephanie is in her coat and her, and her <laughs> scarf. Like a big old 10-inch scarf wrapped around her neck. And it's like at least 10 degrees outside with the sun shining. Ooh, did you and not pay the gas bill? Did you, do you not? <laughs> Does Roger not pay for heat in your house? <laughs> you live in England? Yeah. What's I happening? live in Ajax. I'm just, I'm very, very, very cold. I actually went and got my blood work done the other day too, because I think my iron's in the toilet. I am freezing. Yes, Roger came home yesterday from Atlanta. So not only has he been away, but he's been away in friggin' Georgia, right? So he's comes home, he's tanned, he's warm. He, he like gets into bed and puts a sheet on him you know, and I'm, I'm beside him and he accused me of trying to kill him with the cold of my feet. And if not that tetanus from my toe talons. They're weapons. And, <laughs> but I am cold. I am freezing. I am wearing a full sweater and I have my scarf on and I am so cold. I had to and, take uh, my sweater I- off. I went outside just to do a measurement of my backyard and I'm like, oh my God sweat i gotta pull up layers uh-huh. i'm really i'm um i have windows open not like wide open but i have windows open and it is literally cold in my house but i am loving it mm-hmm. i can feel that it's cold but i don't care nobody's complained yet so i'm just gonna leave even if they do fuck them <laughs> who, <laughs> pays, who pays the gas bill oh shit actually nadia pays the gas bill but never mind <laughs> they don't need to know the rule that that ye who plays the gas bill gets to decide the thermostat temperature you better hope. hopefully your children are like mine and don't actually listen to our podcast <laughs> don't. because that's the rule that i've i've sailed on that rule for decades so now that somebody is old enough to actually pay the gas bill um i they don't need to know the rule just pay it just pay it before we get to the, um, uh, before this leaves my mind, because it will, and before we get to the land acknowledgement, I have a quick question. At what age did you know what a placenta was? Oh. When I was pregnant? When do you remember learning about it? When you were when pregnant? I was pregnant. Well, I was 16 when I was pregnant, so I was probably learned about it the earliest because I was 16 and was, was fascinated with uh, reproductive physiology. So, I so was never I, having, I was never having children. So I never, I could have cared less. I, all I cared about was how to prevent it. <laughs> I just didn't want to have anything to do with having children. So yeah, when I was 29 and became pregnant. So I learned about it in health class when I was a kid, like grade nine. 
grade nine gym, the health section, when they talk about, you know, how a baby's made and stuff like that and, or not how a baby's made, how a baby's grown. And I remembered it from back then. And I thought that everyone was excited, as excited about biology as I was. So this has been very eye-opening when my friend, my kids' friends are over and I mentioned Megan came downstairs with her boyfriend and she's like, don't mind the smell. There's a placenta going. And he's like, we're having placenta? And he was asking seriously. And I'm like, no, no, I'm making a placenta. He's like, for dinner? Like, do you know what a placenta is? He's like, no, what is it? And I had to explain to an 18 year old young man what a placenta was. And I'm like, what is missing? What what's going on here? How does well, that's how, because they know, don't do they don't do health class together. Like they do boy health class and they do girl health class. Do they still yeah. do that in school? Pretty sure. My daughter, I'm and my kids go to Catholic school too. So um, my son well, is a high go. school, my son is a high school phys ed teacher. And yeah, it's separate. Yeah. Still it's wild. I don't remember it being separate for me. I remember having conversations in class with boys in the room. I remember. Well, yeah, when you put the condom on the banana, that was a, that was a boy girl class. When you put a condom on a banana. Oh, there's different types. There's different, um, what do you call it? Like modules of health. Cause I remember they, I remember having like a nutrition module and then, then there's another thing about reproduction, which is all biology. Then there's like sex ed, which is condoms and contraception and stuff like that which yes was I remember that be I remember a class I mean high school was four years but I remember a class that was co-ed but other stuff Mm. definitely was segregated Mm. interesting boys didn't learn about periods and menstrual cycles and like the reproductive cycle and anatomy the boys were definitely not there they were learning about I don't know testosterone and their balls dropping. I don't know what the hell. Beards and stuff. <laughs> yeah, being smelly. Normal, yeah, normal urges and sensations they may experience. Puberty, <laughs> puberty stuff was absolutely segregated. Crazy. When they yeah. talk about periods, like becoming a woman, becoming a man, that was segregated. We we separated literally in grade six. I remember the boys went upstairs. They had we went upstairs and we talked about like um, maxi pads and and um, cramps stuff like that. <laughs> oh my goodness! I remember in the sixth grade having the health class about your period, and that the lady who it wasn't our teacher teaching it it was Mm -hmm. the lady in the front office who was like not the main secretary but a different secretary had come in to talk to all those girls about periods and she brought in one of the old school ones with the belt and everything and 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 she put it on over her clothes and all of us were like what is happening what's happening here actual (laughs) how fucking older i remember i remember the movie she frozen um it was who's frozen you no i'm not but not anymore not anymore not anymore okay (laughs) the the fact that we're talking means you're not yeah i'm like what do you mean (laughs) i can hear you what um the big giant projector and the movie it was that kind of animation 
Uh, do you remember the, okay, you have to be old to remember this. Do you remember the I beginning am. of Bewitched? Yep. Yes. It was do, like that. Do, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the cartoon. That was I Dream of Jeannie. I don't know. But you know that that sort of animation? Yeah, with yeah. Pretty skinny girls with hair that goes like this? Yeah, 1950s. Yeah, with stars all around. And they're yeah. wearing like little short dresses. It was animation like that, that we learned about our, our periods. Please tell and me it was in color. It was in color. It okay, was, that's, was that's a step up. <laughs> it was in color. I even remember, hello, back in grade two in the Caribbean, okay, grade two, before I came to Canada, there once a week, like Friday afternoons, the boys and girls separated and we learned how to sew. And the boys in grade two, wow. and the boys went somewhere else and they did like wood things with wood and nails yeah. and hammers. And we would get like a, a rectangle of fabric yeah. And in the middle, there'd be a line and we'd have a needle and thread and we had to sew on the straight line. That's uh, grade two. This is like, you know, like preschool home ec. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. It, uh, when I came to Canada, I realized that, oh, girls don't need to learn how to sew here. Great. No, I'm I so took glad. woodworking. Fuck that. <laughs> girls were not allowed girls were not allowed to take wood shop or any other kind of shop when I was in junior high can you believe that I still have somewhere unless it went out with the with the trash I still somewhere around here have the box that I made um it never it had a lid but I never I didn't get it finished so I didn't have any hinges on it so but yeah it was all sanded and cut and so so I think my age group so that was pr- probably like um 1970 like late 70s there was one girl named Heidi Bardoon <laughs> where are you now Heidi Bardoon um who is probably like our number one fan so shout out to Heidi her <laughs> parents her parents fought like hell to get her to take shot I remember that like there was talk about how her parents came to the principal's office and they yelled and made a big deal and now Heidi gets to take shop and you would have thought that maybe there'd be another girl but the amount of trouble that Heidi's parents had to go through to get her to take shop uh maybe other people just were not willing to do that whether they wanted to take shop or not so they came and sewed a tote bag and a skirt and learned how to make french toast with the rest of us I have, I have my tote bag. I have a tote bag too. I made that in grade oh, yeah. seven, I think. And then in grade eight, I took woodworking. Yeah. In grade seven, we did the tote bag and it had like a, those wooden handles that clacked when you put them together. And it, like, I remember yeah. choosing this wild floral fabric color and I loved it. And it was um, reversible. You could like flip it inside out. Mine was yeah. black. Mine was black corduroy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would kill to have that tote bag again. Oh God, that's hilarious. Yeah, but Heidi was the only one in the whole entire school, only girl who got to take shop. And Damn. good on yeah. you, Heidi. Good on her, yeah. And her parents. It was her parents who went to bat for her and said, you know, my she daughter. Now owns, she now owns a construction company. That's right. She <laughs> probably does. She's an executive person of like whatever so yeah good for her good for her all right shall we get get started
Let's do it. Let's do it. Let me do a land acknowledgement for us, please. We need to acknowledge this actual earth that we live on, work on, raise our families on as a part, a small, tiny part of the act of reconciliation with um, the Inuit, Métis, and First Nations people of this land. So we all live in our around, the three of us, Pragmatic Doulas, the city of Toronto, and we all acknowledge that we exist here on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. And this territory is now is still home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. Um, we also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, which was allegedly signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Williams Treaties, allegedly signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. And uh, we are committed to constantly working in whatever small way we can to bring about truth and reconciliation for the indigenous peoples of Canada. Thank you. Thank you. It'll be interesting to see what will come out of the um, indigenous Uh people that are with the Pope right now. I mean, come on, Francis, let's go. Like, do, is it, I wonder if they're allowed to say, how could you not, as the head of a ginormous institution like the Catholic Church, and also our prime minister, who also recently met with Indigenous groups, how do you not, as the head of this country, not, even if your government or your institution is not going to, like, give everything that Indigenous peoples are requesting, how do you not as a human not say, God, I'm so fucking sorry. Mm. Me, myself, like, I, I'm so, so sorry. I can't, I'm horrified. And this is, I'm so sorry. Like, that's what, I think that would go a long way, not Mm -hmm. not towards truth and reconciliation, but in that moment, Mm. in that moment, to see this human who represents so much, say to you, human to human, I'm devastated by what you're saying to me. Mm -hmm. That's what I, can you put down the- The rhetoric for like- Yes, take off your Pope hat, take off your prime minister jacket and say me, me, Justin, me, my heart bleeds. I cannot, cannot fathom the horror of these things. And I am deeply, deeply sorry. That, that I'm looking for that. I keep looking for that and it's never going to come because they always keep the hats on. I'm kind of tired of the idea that saying sorry is an admission of guilt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it means you're sorry. Sometimes it just means that you're so sorry that this happened. And let's, let's try and find a way to make it better. Let's try and, and work together to make things better for you sorry well, isn't well, saying sorry saying sorry is a commitment to giving you a hundred million dollars and i'm afraid that that's what you're gonna think if i say sorry yeah no it's the same with doctors. How it works. it's the huh? same with doctors doctors won't say they're sorry for making a mistake because then it's now they're liable and it's an admission of guilt and all that bullshit you know but you done but fucked up case, so say sorry not that it's not, we know that Justin Trudeau himself did not commission no. and order 
residential school systems to like you yourself didn't do it no you're cut the, the this so if i became prime minister i didn't do it but oh my god i'm so so why can't you say that i don't know if, and in these kind of situations like all their words are like word by word syllable by syllable written down mm-hmm. and in a court of law if you say i'm so sorry that in no way can possibly mean I'm going to give you a million dollars. It doesn't mean that. Yeah. Which they should, but it doesn't mean that. So why are they there? It does feel like saying sorry in that way is like, it's, it's not acceptable or something. It needs to be it. And I understand that as a community, indigenous peoples need a public and official statements of apology i get that part but what i'm just questioning is these individual people like if you're the minister of indian affairs in canada i don't know who that is who who's that person today i don't know what what, i could never accept that post how could you ever accept that post without yourself as a human saying my heart bleeds when i hear these stories because otherwise, like, what are you? Some kind of, you're a robot. You're a government shill. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, this is my rant for today. <laughs> Welcome Better to our TED Talk. Now. We're done. <laughs> we're done. That's right. So what are we, we're actually talking today about uh, client criticisms. Receiving, mm. dealing with, processing, yes. reacting to. Yeah. saying my heart bleeds i'm so sorry that i done <laughs> fucked up that's right or or fuck you you're stupid and wrong <laughs> well there's that approach too there's that it's on the list so it, you know, it's on the list yeah but so it's funny that just speaking of client criticisms i knew we were talking about this today and this week um i told you guys that i decided that i wanted like a uh, a clean done of my house, like a, one that I wasn't doing. I wanted someone to come in and just get it done. And I did my legwork. I looked for referrals. This person had lots of good referrals locally. This person, this company had um, like great feedback on their website, great feedback on the Facebook page and great feedback on a local parent group that I belong to here in, in South Ajax. And um, this, and actually that person has great personal reviews, but I believe they have a team now. So they came in, cleaned my house while I was out. And when I came home, there was still lots of dirt. Like there was, you know, when you have a dirty mop and you're pushing it and it, you pull back and there's like a dirt line that's left behind. Right. Um, it just means you need to change your, your mop water. And, um, or it anyhow, means there was a dirt line in the corner so that nobody sees it. Yes. Duh. Yes. <laughs> I, see, and when you do that yourself, it's fine. It's your house. But when you pay someone to do it, you want the dirt lines cleaned up. And they were everywhere. They were all over the place. And then it also became apparent that there were dirt lines gathered up around the legs of things and stuff. So nothing was moved to clean it. It was everything was cleaned around. So it was just, it was like oh, I paid for this. You know, I paid yeah. good money for this. And so I uh, contacted the owner and I spoke with them. And I was like, okay, so how is this constructive criticism going to come back? Because I said, you know, the biggest problem when things like this happen is that there's a differing of expectations. And I'm going to tell you my single person who came through my house every two weeks, um, 
never left behind stuff like this. She would mop and then she would take a towel and she would wipe everything around the corners of everything. And I know this because she criticized me for how I did it and she told me how to do it right. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, this was a two person team who was here and they still left all of that behind. So I let, I let them know, sent pictures and this is basically what I'm looking at. And she immediately responded with, these jobs should have been done. They should have been done properly. We'll send out a second team. Great. Like, I mean, it does mean I have to reorganize things again because everyone's at home and I got three badass dogs and then they didn't show up yesterday. They didn't show up? They didn't show up oh. yesterday. So, and again, I had arranged for the dogs who had been put away. I had left the house to pick up Ro from the airport and Abby messaged me like an hour and a half later. They were supposed to be there at one and it was 2.30. She was like, no one is here. No one has arrived. The dogs are put away. Um, and so I messaged the owner. I'm like, no one's at my house. <laughs> no one has arrived. So they are coming today. They will be here actually at 11 o'clock while I'm still podcasting. Are they and because I've had to reschedule, they are going to be downstairs only. So they're only going to be able to correct the work downstairs. So again, I offered constructive criticism. I showed what the problem was. Um, also, I think I showed you guys, and this is just me nitpicking maybe, or a change of thing, but my, when anytime I've had a cleaner in on occasion, they refresh my bed. You take, you, or this is just what I do, take the sheets off, vacuum the bed, refresh the sheets, put the sheets back on, and you make the bed, right? And my pillows were thrown on the bed, my comforter was thrown over the messy sheets, and I was like, what? I was, I was literally confused that like my pillows hadn't even been propped up. Like everything was just, the blanket was just thrown over it. Was making, left the bed a, was making the bed a part of the things that they were supposed to do? See, that was my understanding if it was. And and when but she replied to me, she said- That's cleaning 101. Yeah. So, um, but no one's bed were, was made. Like the blankets were picked up and thrown on so they were flat on the top but the bed wasn't made so and again I'm like am I nitpicky no just because I've already and so I, I messaged and I sent the pictures of that as well and uh so anyhow they are coming today but again this so I will have them come and fix their work but I won't use them again mm -hmm. because it's unreliable they didn't show up on time the second time and now they're coming today and i so that's like three days where i've had to move my schedule around so that they can come do the job i paid them to do yeah right yeah so but this is not personal although it is money it's not personal so i am not i'm irritated or i'm in i'm like eh, i'm not satisfied there it is but that's very different than someone's birth experience when they come to you with constructive criticism right but I did keep it in mind what constructive criticism is, how to respond to it so that I get what from that person what I need. So when I messaged it, it was like with pictures, what I expected, what I got, and that there was a discrepancy. People don't generally come to you as a client with that kind of mindset because you've just had a baby <laughs> and True. everything is very personal. So very. where does then the question becomes then where does, if there's negative feedback, where does it come from? Where, when does it come? How does it come? Like, are you asking for it or is it they're disgruntled and pissed off and telling you, or is it both? Hmm. Well, most recently 
Um, oh, so it's interesting because I've had feedback from a mother and I've had feedback from fathers. And um, often the feedback I get, not often, but when I've had feedback from fathers where they're like, so I kind of expected you to do all of this over here. And what you did was all of this over here. And, and usually the partner would be the one saying, I kind of expected you to do all of the work and tell me what to do and tell me this and tell me that. And I'm like, well, no, I'm there to walk with you guys through this and call you in to do specific help and stuff. But my job is not to tell the doctors and everything what they should be doing. If there's something you have a question about, you have to ask the question. Um, and uh, yeah, so when, when it's been disgruntled dads, it's usually because they are not, and I say dads because that's where it's mostly been, where they were expecting me to kind of be the be all end all to come right as soon as labor starts so they're not alone. Um, yeah. And to, and, and honestly, it was really, it's really just people who expect you to not be human. Mm-hmm. Like to not rest. That's to that not need one. to go to the bathroom and consume calories to keep going forward. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's been things like that. So I generally speaking, if I get a vibe for that right out of the gate, I don't work with them anymore. Yeah. If I get a vibe for, well, how do I get my money's worth? Whoa, not working with you. Not working yeah. with you. Because you're paying for my experience. You're not paying for my time. You're paying and, for my and, value. And those, people, my- those people don't value the work that you do or the experience that you have, or, you know, the amount of time that you've been doing this and, and what you bring to the table. <clears throat> so I yeah, wouldn't work with them. A, definitely a separation of, of what the expectation is. They're kind of expecting me to be, I don't know. They have one idea that is just not accurate. Um, that basically I, for those people, it's been like, they wanted me to be their, their lackey for the day. Right. God, I hate that. Yeah. Yes. But so does this come up at the postnatal visit? Like, does this come up in when you go for your postnatal visit one or at one of them or? Um, I've had it once come up at a postnatal visit with a partner there, but I've had more um, passive aggressive avoiders. And this, this is a long time ago. I haven't had that in a long time, but um where they wanted to tell their wife, who is now postpartum, dealing with all of the postpartum things, to share their feelings with me when I'm visiting them, but that they're not coming in to talk to me. And I'm like, well, then you really hold no. And then really in those times, I was like, I just felt horrible for the wife. Mm-hmm. Like, so your husband has now put this on your shoulders, impacted how you po- felt positively about the birth, mm-hmm. because I didn't meet his expectations of not being human yeah that's that's something that doulas need to be really aware of people do think like we are magical or something they really can't like i was holding a baby the other day at my clients and they're like oh my god she's never this calm with us and, and, you know, there was, oh, you must have some kind of magic, Suzanne. I'm like, no, it's just experience. That's all. And babies are really intuitive. They know when somebody's holding them, who, somebody who's confident and not afraid or anxious in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so they do sometimes look at you as superhuman and that translates to nice compliments. It mm -hmm. also can translate into, well, why do you need to go sleep? It's only been 18 hours that you've been on your feet awake and they're kind of put out that you need to close your eyes for half an hour or have something to eat or require something for your safety. And they're kind of like, oh, so I've, because I've, I've had that myself where um, I was out of birth, felt really like, you know, when you're just in the morning, you're fine. And then later on that day, you realize, oh God, I feel shitty. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kind of getting a cold or a flu, mm -hmm. but it's not something that you, it, it just like, like, what is this that I feel? I feel like garbage. And then over the next few hours, it builds and builds. That's exactly what happened at this birth. And then at some point, the, uh, the partner said to me, how sick are you, Suzanne? And then I said, mm, well, I, I think I'm coming down with something. And then he asked me to leave and was really upset that I didn't tell them that I was sick, that I came to the birth sick. I was like, but I, I wasn't sick when I came. I, okay. I wasn't sick. I've been here for 10 hours and now I'm, I, you know, you feel this feeling across your shoulders or something and you just realize, oh, I don't feel well. And he must've picked up on that two, three hours later. I really didn't feel well, but at that time and at that point, I didn't know, what am I going to say? Mm -hmm. Like they're eight centimeters dilated. What am I going to say? Hey guys, I just all of a sudden realized two hours ago that I'm feeling a little shitty. So bye. Yeah. So I had already kind of decided I'm just going to tough this out. Yeah. This was back before masks. What long, I mean, this was like 2005 or something. Yeah. And one of my first births. And um, so I left and I was actually relieved because by the time I got to my car, I felt like I'd been hit by a bus. By the time I drove home, I fell into bed and didn't move for two days. So when they, you know, and I forced myself to call them to find out what was going on and they wanted money back. So I did give them money back. Mm. I don't know if I would have done that now. I don't know how I would have handled it now, but that's what, and he was mad. He was mad yeah. that, that I started feeling sick three quarters of the way through the labor and I was going to suck it up. So I don't know what he was mad at that I got sick or that I had decided to stay and suck it out. And I wasn't going to say anything to them. I was just going to like power through. Mm -hmm. Was he mad at that? Should I have said like how there's no way to know that there's no way that mm -hmm. you can know that that's how my flus come on when I have a flu, it wasn't a cold that starts with a little scratchy throat. And then the next day, it's, you know, it's just all of a sudden in the middle of the day, you realize, shit, I feel like garbage. Mm -hmm. And then it builds from there. And so I gave him money back and he really told me I was unprofessional. And cause he probably saw me like, oh, go like this or something. I could tell that you were sick. And I, no just be like told, exhaustion. Like that doesn't necessarily mean when I Ill. got there, he didn't believe me. He didn't believe me. So I've and learned those are the things that are out of our control. We can't control yes. whether someone believes us or not. Right. No. And I've learned now that, especially now that I'm been doing this for 18 years almost, and I'm the age that I am, I literally need, I literally will need 
a little bit of a break now and then. So if people are not having an epidural, usually it's built in. They have an epidural and everybody can get some, gets a little bit of rest. But if there's no epidural on board and this labor is just going and going, I'm, I've say to my clients, I'm, I said, look, you wanted an experienced doula with all the wisdom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you hired me. If you wanted the young, energetic, dynamic doula who never gets tired, then you should have hired somebody who's 25. Yeah. You hired me. And so I'm telling you right now, I might need to rest my back after a certain number of hours and I will need to eat. And people are so, I've never met anybody saying, oh, put your humanness, you gotta put your humanness out there. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll let you know, I'll let you know when, and then I'm like, sure, absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah, 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 for sure. But back then I didn't. No. I, I, I felt like the job description was let your clients think that you're superhuman. Yeah. Let them, let them think that you are everything to all of them. Uh, now I'm like, no hell, this is a job. Every job has limitations on the people who are doing the job, including me. So here are mine. So clarity. And that way, if they, later on, when you say, you guys, I haven't eaten for uh, 24 hours. I need to go have a donut. Please excuse me. <laughs> Nobody will argue with you. No, exactly. So, I mean, I used to have back in the day, I used to have or send um, the client because we had to do this for our certification. So I just let it follow through for a few years of, you know, sending a page, you know, where they could, you know, send me an evaluation. And oftentimes I would use those evaluations. I kept them in my, do I have it here? I have a, I have a book. I have a, I have like a, I have a brag book, um, but I would keep those in there as part of my, you know, Hey, hire me. Look at how awesome I am. Um, kind of thing, as opposed to having people call um, new parents and whatnot for references and things. So I used to do that. And then of course, I mean, for me, <laughs> there was rarely any negative stuff. Um, just saying. And <laughs> She says, just as an aside, I'm so good. Um, But then there's certainly, I I asked, I used to get into, so when I stopped doing that, I got into the habit of, because somebody said that they did this and I thought, okay, well, let's try it and see how it goes. Um, Is there something that I could have done differently to make, to have made your birth better? So I would ask that at the, at the postnatal visit. Like right in their face? Yep. I wanted to know. And, and because I was so confident that I'm fucking awesome, I never expected there to be anything that wasn't, that was not positive. Mm -hmm. Except the one time (laughs) that I asked that question. And that was the time when I'd had that trail mix that had MSG in it. And I got a massive, massive headache and was vomiting in the bathroom. I couldn't even, I couldn't even I, it came on so suddenly I couldn't even leave to go vomit somewhere else. It had, it was happening right there. Mm-hmm. So it's when, happening. I asked, when I asked that question, the, the answer was, well, you could have not vomited. That would have been good. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm really sorry. You have control. Yeah. I mean, that's a horrible thing to have had happen, but like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did. I did brush my teeth and I did, you know, what was it like tongue in cheek? Were they saying it? No, 
No, See, the look on his face. Like that's what the hell? What did you yeah. expect you to do? What did, what did he expect you to do? Yeah, like I'm, I, it was, should I have known? Did I expect there to be massive amounts of MSG in this organic trail mix? No, of course not. Mm-hmm. Um, Must have been fucking delicious. It was so good. Yeah. Um, you paid for yeah, it. literally, I thought my brain was exploding within my head. Um, yeah. And I even tried to get somebody to come in. Um, to replace me, but nobody was available at like two o'clock in the morning. So it was like, like, I'm really sorry that that happened. I, I wish, I wish it could have been different for you. Anything else? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but I haven't, I think the only, so the only real negative feedback that I've kind of gotten, not necessarily from being a doula, um, But in childbirth education, I've definitely had situations where there's definitely been negative feedback into what I said, what I did, you know, blah, blah, blah. And for the most part, so I mean, Suzanne, you teach with me, so you know, you know, the the comments come (laughs) from our boss who only ever told us about the negative stuff, which was good because it wasn't very often, but it did come. And it was always like, oh, but that's not what I said. Like that, yes. it's not what I said. Time, not it was what misinterpretation, I did. misunderstanding, or straight up, you didn't fucking listen to what I had to say. Or I did yeah. not say that. What are some of the ones somebody said? I don't even remember if it was me or you or whatever. Somebody we never said, knew. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, sometimes I knew because it was my wording. Like I knew <laughs> they would say somebody said that we said that the epidural makes some mothers sleepy. Is that what it, I can't something remember. like that? Something yeah. really dumb. And then there are other things that the, Oh, the prenatal structure said such and such. I would never say that. Never would never That's, have said come that. Up, there would be things that I would never say that because I don't even believe that. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it. They clearly heard something. And it's, it's, I was glad that we always had supervisors who understood there are six classes and every week there is so much information. We are standing there pouring like a book full of information in every class. Somebody's going to misinterpret something. Yeah. in one of those classes that it's unavoidable it's just that some people feel strongly about what they've heard or think they've heard that they go to their doctor and then I once got in trouble for say telling people telling my class and I did say this because it's true that the eye ointment was not legal or mandatory that's fucking not yeah back then it was highly recommended and pushed by the hospital, but that's not the same as it being legally mandatory. They can't call CPS and take your baby away. They can threaten you with that, but it's not, it's not a law. And they did. And they did yeah, threaten yeah. people with it. Yeah. So the um our support person at the time said to me, Yeah, but you can't say that. And I'm like, what do you mean? I can't say the truth. If somebody in my class asked me straight up, do I have to do that? Like legally, do I have to put eye ointment in my baby's eyes? Am I supposed to lie? I'm not going to do that. I would have quit. If she said, yeah, we expect you to lie. I would have said, fuck you all. I'm not lying. Yes, exactly. 
I wouldn't have, I would have lost my job because I'm not going to tell a room full of parents that, yeah, it's the law and you don't have a choice. You do. So it was this whole big thing. The pediatrician who eventually made its way to wrote this long in detailed email about why we need to lie basically, or how to avoid the topic. And I said, you can't avoid the topic. You can't have me say all questions are welcome. I'm here to answer all your questions and then worm your way around this one topic. It yeah. is not mandatory. Then educate people about why you think it is necessary then. Convince yeah. people that it's necessary then, but don't ask educators to lie. Yeah. So that kind so of- I'll touch on that quickly. I was, I was in back in the day before, like, you know, groups were like private and shit like that. I was on a, a Canada-wide obstetric Yahoo group. And I was just, you know, trolling. I was just looking, watching. I, do, I was curious as to what conversations happen when people are off about supporting each other, obstetric nurses and obstetric doctors and stuff like that. And there was this one doctor who was here in Toronto and, it was, and a nurse practitioner was in and she's like, I have this client who is going, who wants to have a VBAC after two previous cesareans. And she came very prepared with her information and feels, she feels very adamant that we should be supporting her. As opposed to someone coming in talking about informed consent and stuff like that, they came in and said, you need to read how to get to yes, which is basically a book that teaches people how to psychologically overrule and fear people into people. seeing that they're the only ones who have the answer to the problem they have. Mm -hmm. And I would, and then it blew up. Everyone was like, yes, this is such a great book. If you can't get them to yes, and you know, because it's the end of the pregnancy, you can't drop them. Here are some of the strategies for getting someone to agree. You can't and drop them. Yes, because within 30 days of your due date, you cannot drop a client. Um, you're not allowed to. And because um, before 30 days before your, your thing, you are allowed to, you're allowed to send an, an email or a message, a, a letter to a client, to a patient and say, due to us not aligning and you not feeling safe in my care, um, here are other avenues for you to, to explore since we are not a quality match. Yeah. Which again, reasonable, reasonable for a doctor who doesn't feel comfortable doing something. And it doesn't, it doesn't, they don't include the fact that basically they're refusing a client's right to, to choose and ask for support in evidence-based care. Um, but anyhow, I was, I was, it was wild to watch that blow up. And this has nothing to do with complaints or anything like that. It was just, it was wild to watch the inner workings of obstetric floors in, uh, across Canada mm -hmm. and how they were chatting with each other about often it was coercion. Sometimes it was things about, you know, how to handle a bleed, different ways to handle a bleed and, or things like that. But often it was about Consent. communication and, and really coercion and, and, yeah, and getting to yes. Yeah. Anyhow, let's go back to people complaining. <laughs> so I want to talk about ego. Right. So ego yeah. plays a big role in criticism that comes to you. So that that's the whole thing. How do you manage the criticism? Do you sit there and say, Yes, you're right. I'm so sorry. Or you're you like, I didn't do that. That's not me. What are you talking about? 
right? So Both. There, has, there has to be, there has to be a situation, like you have to get to a point where you're like, because a lot of times what's coming at you is not necessarily you did X, Y, Z, and it should have been ABC. It's not usually like that. What's usually happening, in my opinion, um, is what's coming at you is feelings. And feelings are valid, even if you don't feel, even if you don't feel that their feelings are valid, shut the fuck up, because they are. Anything that they're feeling is what they've experienced. And, and especially when we're talking about a postpartum mom, like, ugh, we cannot say, oh, no, what you're feeling there, that's wrong. I didn't do that. This is what they're feeling. And this is valid. And we have to acknowledge that, you know what, I'm so sorry that my actions made this experience not good for you. And I'm sorry because I, I hate that whole, I'm sorry you feel that way. It's wrong, but I'm sorry you feel that way. Because that's not right either. So how do yeah. you manage that? You know, they're coming at you with their emotions. How do you manage that? It's hard because it's almost like your ego, whatever part of you. We wear our egos here. Mm-hmm. Like we walk, I'm, I'm waving my hands up and down in front of my body, meaning like your, your ego is like your shield. Yeah. That's what we, that's the face that we show to the world. And when somebody, and that the job of the ego is to protect the rest of us behind that is your vulnerable, soft core. And when somebody hits you with something that you've done wrong or bad, that's made them feel shitty or whatever, your ego immediately throws up a thing. Yeah. To, dis- to determine whether or not it can it is safe to let it down and s- absorb it mm-hmm. and dissect it and own it mm-hmm. because sometimes you sometimes there the feelings that the client feels because feelings are always valid but they're based on something that's not correct or true or accurate. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it was a misinterpretation or whatever. And so they have feelings based on something that's not true. So if somebody comes to you, Kim, and says, well, Suzanne said this or that about you. And then you immediately get really mad. And then you realize later that actually, no, I didn't say that. Or I said something and it was different. It was taken there. Oh, well, then that affects. But if you took your feelings and then came to me, huh, I heard that you said my ego would be like, oh, hold on a second. Stop, 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 stop. I'm not going to let that into my soft core because it's based on wrong information. So the doula, I think, needs to do be able at the doorway to discern the whole story and whether or not we're going to be like, oh, yeah, fuck, you're right. You're right come on tell me everything you're right I you know what I own that I did do that I did say that and I'm really sorry that I that I made you feel the shit but at another time when the client is it's based on wrong information that's when it's trickier because you because you don't want to be the asshole who says no, I'm sorry right. I feel that way so so it comes it comes down to we as doulas have to we have to not jump to that knee-jerk reaction. It has to be, there has to be, this is how you feel, great. 
let's have a discussion about it. Tell me more about what is happening. Tell me more about what you remember. Tell me more about what you're feeling. Tell me what's happening with you because then that gives you more information to let that shield down a little and say, yeah, yeah, I did say that Mm -hmm. not exactly what I meant. It may have been misinterpreted. What I actually meant when I said that was blah, 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 or whatever, or things like that. Or yeah, as you say, oh yeah, in the middle of all that, I did say that I did do that. I am so sorry. You are, you're so right. And I am so sorry for that. So there has to be, it's very common for us as humans to, when something, as you say, when something's coming at us to have that knee jerk reaction, like, fuck you. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. But if we have conversations and we talk to one another and we understand what everybody, both sides of the story, and we understand where everybody's coming from and having the partner's perspective too, of what they saw and they heard and all of that stuff, then yeah, then we can maybe have less of those knee-jerk reactions and use this as constructive criticism, as opposed to just somebody stabbing at you and saying, you fucked up. Because that criticism, that information can help you further on, right? That, that criticism, when it's given constructively and there's discussion about it, it can help you learn to be a better doula. So that's like when I, when I get criticisms about, um, you know, my teaching and things like that, it's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I hate that they've said this and I hate that they feel this way, mm-hmm. but yeah, I need to do that differently. There, there's a, even if there's a kernel of truth, yeah, maybe they've overblown it, overreacted or whatever, overemphasized something. But if there's a kernel of truth, you have to own that kernel of truth and use it to, um, I once was told, I told too many stories. more than once and I told too many stories and I was like what my stories are the best part of it but I said okay maybe I do tell too many stories now I literally have just two or three specific stories that I tell over the course of the whole time and that's it I used to maybe have like six stories say so I cut it down because I got the criticism more than once that I tell too many stories mind you 90 percent of the people who come to my class love my stories exactly um but they absolutely do clients that i have worked with who have attended your classes have mentioned your stories and said you wouldn't believe this story suzanne told and like i've heard that before and they remember the stories they remember how it made them feel and they and everyone, the biggest takeaway, and I've actually had this about stories, Kim, you've told and Suzanne have told, but the takeaway from both of them is take everything with a smile and a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that it's, everything's going to be okay. You know, things might not look the way you were expecting them to, but it's going to be okay. You know, because yeah. you can yeah, ask Yeah, so that's why I didn't get rid of the stories altogether. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't say, oh, fuck, oh, fuck those people. No, I'm going to add more stories. Yeah, I'm going to add more stories in defiance of you all. So I listened to that grain of truth and I adjusted. So I feel I feel better now about that. They're missing out on some great fucking stories. I'll tell you that. But but OK, fine. <laughs> you got to cycle balanced them. It out, balanced it out a little bit because there was a grain of truth. So I so several years ago, 
you probably remember this. Um, there was a Facebook group that I was not a part of, a mom group, and my classes were like deep sixed by this person, how awful they were, how I made them feel terrible um, for having a cesarean birth, that I caused them to have a cesarean birth. Yes, remember I remember this? that. That's ridiculous. And how how I made it sound like cesareans were the worst thing ever and to be avoided at all costs. And it was like, I don't remember saying any of that. Um, and it got to the point where, again, I managed to get into the group. I was uh, permitted into the group and was just, I just sat there and there were like hundreds of responses about how awful I was and from people who never took my class. Um, and then someone who told me I was a terrible doula and I wasn't even their doula. And it was like, yes, because they said the, the doula who teaches at St. Mike's. And then it was one of my clients who jumped on. And I, and I, yeah. so I contacted, I contacted her and said, look, I've been reading this and I, and I want, oh, and she had sent a letter. She was sending a letter to our boss about it because, and this was like years later, but it was still sitting with her how she had had the cesarean birth and that it was all my fault. And it was like, it was like two years later, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I emailed her and I said, look, I respect that you're going to send this letter to my boss and I, you do what you need to do. I said, but you have to understand that the way I teach the class, this is, and I gave her like, because it's a speech in my head, it's literally on repeat. Everything I say to one class is literally the exact same thing I say to another class. So I went through and I typed out exactly what I said. And you could see as more of what I was saying was said, it was like starting to dawn on her that, oh yeah, that isn't actually what I heard. That is right. Yeah. And you could sort of see it. She was started to back off a little bit because it got to the point where I'm like, I respect that you need to do this. And I will be talking to my boss about this as well. Um, but you have to understand that what you're doing here could possibly get me fired and ruin my livelihood mm -hmm. for something that I actually did not say. Mm -hmm. This is what I said. This is exact. These are the words that I used. Mm -hmm. Now, when it was all over and done with and everything sort of calmed down, I don't think she actually sent the letter. She may have, but I had also sent um, Anna an email to explain to her, like, exactly, this is what's coming. So here you go. Um, and then nothing ever happened about it. But then like the next class I taught, I realized that some of the words that I was saying or some of the ways I was saying something maybe indicated that, yeah, we do want to avoid cesareans, that they are bad. And I thought, oh, that isn't necessarily what I feel though. And I need to remember that there are 30% of the people in this room are possibly going to have a cesarean birth. And some of them are going to, and who, anytime you're teaching a class, 10, 12 couples in there, there's going to be somebody who hears they yeah. take things the wrong way. And so it, it behooves us to be super vigilant about exactly how we, the words we use and how we present them. Yeah. So from there, that, yeah, that's the grain of truth that was in that's her. Right. That's right. So from that point on, I've switched up how I say things and I've switched up sort of what, you know, you know, that, you know, 
cesareans become necessary. This is, this is how we can avoid them, but sometimes we can't do that. And it's okay if it happens. It's, and, and saying that, and it, I even start the class off by saying, you know, however your baby gets out of you, that's birth. If your baby comes out your, oh, if your baby comes out your um, vagina, if your baby comes out your abdomen, if your baby comes out your nose, however that happens, you gave birth, birth you and birth. That, that's you. So, you know, I don't have any preconceived notions about what the best way to give birth is, except informed. So I'm only here to lay before you what your options are, and then you get to decide. So it allowed me to sort of switch things up and it allowed me to look at things from a different perspective. And I, despite how horrible it all was, despite how awful I felt inside that I had caused this and that I, that this woman, you know, two years later was still blaming me for her horrible experience. Because mm -hmm. I, I didn't sleep for like a week. Like I was, I felt awful, but then it was like, no shit. Damn it. That's not my, that's not no me. Shit, damn it. <laughs> Fuck. Damn um, it. But it definitely, as you say, there was obviously some kernel of truth in there that I needed to sort of switch up how I said the things that I said, not just what I said, but how I said it. And that's, and that's the, in the middle of all that miasma of crap and awfulness that it was, I found the constructive criticism and was able to grow and learn from it. And that's what we need to remember to do. We have to grow and from this information. How can I grow from this um, experience? The stuff that this, these parents are telling me, how can I learn? What can I learn from that? How can I improve my birth work? Mm -hmm. I, and there, the, part of that means also reaching that point where you're like, no shit, damn it. <laughs> This is not me. This is them. And I'm not going to give this any more energy because that situation morphed into me being torn up by right. my client because she thought that that person was talking about me. Yeah. She, my client didn't know that there's two, or she didn't remember, whatever, that there's two doulas who teach at St. Mike's. So she automatically was like, was that Suzanne? Like she literally named me mm -hmm. and then <clears throat> proceeded to talk about a situation that her and I had worked through and hugged and cried mm -hmm. and, and, and ended our work together on the most loving of terms. But she, she saw a way to be a part of this scrum. Yeah. And so she jumped in, she says, oh yeah, now look at me, shine the light on me. Yeah. I can give you some insight into this thing, even though she was coming, she was wrong. And I was sorely tempted. Listen, you know me. Mm -hmm. I was sorely tempted to jump into that scrum with guns blazing mm -hmm. and tell her off. Because I would have said, you stupid fucking bitch. You cried on my shoulder and said everything was okay. We smoothed all that over. But now you're going to come back and talk to strangers about you naming me now all of these hundreds of moms of this Facebook group. And this was a Toronto-based Facebook yeah. group. So that was basically our entire, like, yeah, this is my market. This is our market. market. And that's what she's saying. 
And I, I sat with it and sat with it because I know diplomacy is not my strong suit. <laughs> that was my first thing that held me back. I said, don't talk, Suzanne. Just don't. And then I said, eventually came to the conclusion, you know what? Fuck it. Whoever doesn't want to hire me as a doula because they read that thing, fuck them. Well, the good news was not going to defend myself because I need to do news was, is that my client took the post down or the, the, the person took the post down because after we had had a conversation, after we had smoothed things out, after we had had, you know, you know, a discussion about it and dug into it, the two of us, she, she realized, and I realized, and I admitted my mistakes as well, um, that, you know, maybe she had misinterpreted a few, a couple of things that I had said, and that maybe I wasn't to blame. I personally was not to blame for her cesarean birth. So she ended up, she, the post ended up getting taken down eventually. Yeah. I was like, thank you. Because there's so much chaos in the moment. And when it's in the midst of that chaos, it is hard to find the takeaways. Yeah. So you know, having a habit that you create for when you receive feedback that, you know, where immediately something flies up and says that the ego flies up initially Mm -hmm. having a habit where you can sort out the, not just the validity, but what can I take away from it is great. So I'm recently, it was in the midst of this, and I think I might still be in the midst of this where, um, I spoke with a client's partner after the birth and that the client wasn't happy and, um, the word professional came up and stuff like that. But really the biggest takeaway from it was that the support that I had offered in the way that I supported across the board was not what was expected. Right. And, but during the experience, there was no one asking to alter the way I was currently doing it. Right. No one was, and I had, I believe, so like you said about changing how you say things in, in class, for me, what I've done is I've changed how I've said things ahead of time because although I, I believed that I had been clear, either I hadn't or the emotion that the person's experience, experiencing right now is overruling what they know to be true mm-hmm. and, and that the blame has to sit somewhere. Um, and I don't know which one of these the situation is. I don't know what that is. All I know is I know how I did my job. I know how I've always done my job. I know my intent. I know that I spent a lot of time talking to this person ahead of time. I know that I did exactly what I believed to be the type of support they were looking for. Um, And as everybody knows, I am not an aggressor. I don't go to a birth. Aggressor is probably the wrong word. I don't go to a birth until I'm invited. That's virtually or in person. Yeah. And and I don't just show up. That's I'm not just going to no. show up. Yeah. Um, I, always, I always say, or I used to always say, you let me know when you want me to come. Do you want yeah. me to come now? And, mm-hmm. and I'm available by call, text, FaceTime, um, or if I'm in person, coming in person. Um, but it, it has to be led by the individual. Mm-hmm looking for the support. So I will always text first because it's least invasive. Um, It is the, I find it's the least invasive, especially when someone's busy doing something like, you know, having a vaginal exam, right? (laughs) Uh, Things like that. So that's where, that's where I understand after chatting with 
uh, with the partner and writing down all the notes, what would have, what they believe would have looked better, would have felt better. Um, and I can take those notes and I can take those takeaways and I can try to be um, much more clear. I don't believe I will change how I do my work because it's really a part and parcel of who I am, mm-hmm. how I communicate. I need to be maybe a touch more vigilant about being clear that that's how I, I communicate, particularly during virtual births. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, my heart broke, my heart absolutely broke. And it continues to break knowing that someone who I did come to care for very much, um, genuinely just such a big hearted person, you know, someone who feels things deeply. I came to feel so, to want so much for her, what, what she wanted, what she was pursuing and supported her through some things and getting to what it was that she needed prior to birth. And so to know that I had disappointed that person mm-hmm. or that the responsibility for that disappointment is being placed on me, but, or that, or did I disappoint that person genuinely? Will that story change later? But it, it broke my heart. Like for a few days, I just walked around with like this, yeah. this, this like mm-hmm. spot on my heart, like it was being yeah. squeezed yeah. Um, because I genuinely came to care for this person. It wasn't, you know, just a, a quick client or something along those lines. It was someone I genuinely cared for. So it was upsetting for me to know that, um, after the fact there was something I could have done differently. And at the same time, understand that I don't doula that way. Mm-hmm. And that I thought I'd been clear, but I, but maybe I wasn't, or they needed more. And now maybe they're just realizing that's what they needed mm-hmm. after the fact. They thought how I did things was what they needed and it truly wasn't. So they are taking something forward as well. Although I'm sure right now it's still very still raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really it, it, it is all about clarity, right? It is all about laying out expectations in the prenatals so that everybody, because I mean, that's what the prenatals are for. Prenatals are for letting everybody know how everybody's going to work together. This is what, this is how I work. This is, I mean, really that should be kind of part of the interview as well, but it's like, this is how I work. This is what I do. You know, this is, this is, this is what to expect from me. And Mm -hmm. if that's not what's going to work for them, then we need to talk about that. And we need to figure out if there's going to be something different. Um, And if not, then if it's going to be something that I can't do for you, then we need to find you another doula. Because I I think the more clarity and the more openness and upfrontness we give, the less likely that we're going to have these sort of misinterpretations and and negative experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree with like super duper clarity right from the get go with the interview. Mm-hmm. Let, it, let it, so if you offer one prenatal, that's what you say straight up because maybe they'll be interviewing with another doula who offers two, and they're getting themselves mixed up. No, nope, I'm the doula who offers one. Okay, yeah. and this is how I work. I in an interview I said this is how my doula support works. And I walk them through this meeting, this meeting, what they have, how they have access to me on what forums and, you know, how much access they have to me when I'm on call, when I will join them at the hospital or at home, et cetera, et cetera. So they leave. Those are like the, the, the structure. It's like the bare bone structure that doesn't change. No, 
Other things might be negotiable, like the date of our prenatal meetings. Those things are negotiable. Yeah. But the fact that there's one or two, that's the structure and that doesn't change. And so when they go away from the interview, they know, they know that that's clarity and constantly being clear all the time, all the time. If they, your client asks you for what sounds like medical advice, mm-hmm. saying straight up, I don't give medical advice. That's not my role. Mm-hmm right? But here's the website that might be helpful for you to find some information over and over and over. But if you do kind of sort of give medical advice and then you do it a couple of times, three times during the pregnancy, and then later on in postpartum, something happens or during the birth and they look and they say, well, you told me that blah, blah, blah. Um, I know me, I can say me, I never told you that, not me. If you found something on the internet and you think it came from me, think again, because I've said over and over and over, I don't give medical advice. That's not the doula's role, but here is, and it's in my contract. I don't give medical advice. Mm -hmm. Anything I say to you, you, you take responsibility. That's in my contracts. And you sign the contract, you're taking responsibility for all your decisions, whether you misinterpreted what I said or did or not. Mm -hmm. Do you guys put in your contracts on the line of clarity things like those kind of nuanced things like the doula is here to guide you or whatever wording you want to use to and the doula is not here to orchestrate your birth experience or whatever words you want to use. Is, I is have yeah like I have it's a good idea. I do blah, blah, blah. I do not do blah, blah, blah. Like it's like actually bolded, (laughs) sectioned out, Um, you know. But if you want something more than that, then you got to go find it in some other venue because this is not what doulas do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I had a great want to have like a second doctor who's always on their side and who always is going to like, yes, them, yes, 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 them, agree with them and support them in everything that they want to, they, but they want somebody who has the authority to do that. And that person doesn't exist. There's no, there's midwives and obstetricians who give clinical advice and do clinical things. And then there's doulas. There's no in between. No. There's nobody right. who can do that and what, you know, do both. There's nobody in between. And clients that you do that. Sorry, I interrupted you, Stephanie, go ahead. That's okay. I had a chat recently where um, the client had asked for some information. And again, in Clarity recently, particularly this came up, I had a client ask for information. Again, it was about vaginal birth after after two cesareans. Very common for the people that I work with. Um, and so I had sent them the information that originally had been on the Society of Obstetrics and Gynecology of Canada's website on the guidelines for care for the gold standard of care of someone who's had two previous cesareans who is looking to have a vaginal birth this time. Um, And yes, the information said that uh, having an obstetrician and an in-hospital birth was was part of the gold standard based on risk factors for the interval for them, for how long it was from the last baby to this one. Um, So it supported all of that. Uh, And she, as a researcher, She's she's not she's a policy researcher, not for birth related things, but for other things. So she really read through it quite quite thoroughly, and so she was really surprised to come back. And we had another chat, and she said, "Well, that information that you gave me," and I said, "Well, the information that 
is the guidelines for your doctor. So you kind of had an understanding of what the guidelines they're offered is. She yeah. said, well, I took it to my doctor and they said they don't do that. And I said, okay, did they explain what that means? They said, well, it's not policy. And I said, well, you're right. It's not policy. Their policy there is that when you arrive, you have an epidural, you have an IV and here's the reasoning behind that. And she goes, but that's not what the guidelines that they're given say. I said, that's right. The hospital policy does not meet the gold standard guidelines for ideal care for a parent who's looking to have a baby after two previous cesareans. And she's like, and she said to me, she's like, you know what? One of the best pieces of information you can give someone, and this was great feedback for me and it wasn't negatively received at all and it wasn't negatively given. She's like, let somebody know when you're giving them that one piece of information, if you know that the hospital policy is differing from it. Cause that would have been a different conversation with me going in saying, I understand that this is the gold standard. I also understand that your hospital has this guideline. So I wanna find out how I can work with both of these. Cause my goal is still the same, but I don't wanna be uh, you know, blindsided by the hospital policy not being in line with it. Much like the eye ointment, mm -hmm. right? The hospital, many, even when the guidelines came out saying that, literally saying it doesn't help at all for the antibiotic eye ointment, many hospitals still had it as their policy to offer it or that you had to sign a waiver or something like that. Um, so she, that was great information for me. So now whenever someone comes to me about VBAC guidelines, I can send them the AOM guidelines or the SOGC guidelines um, or the, even the World Health Organization's guidelines. So, but I can also send you the policies that are currently supported at your hospital so that when you go in, you can have a full conversation and not be blindsided by your doctor saying, I don't do that. Well, it's really not that they don't do that. It's that the hospital doesn't do that. Um, and so hey, their hands Steph, might be tied as well. Sorry, Steph, can you do us a favor? Because yeah. I think th those sources would be awesome for new doulas to have uh, on mm -hmm. old doulas too. Um, uh, where just, so just saving us the legwork, do you have it? If you have it handy, maybe we can post it on Instagram or something. Where to find the World Health Organization guidelines for VBAC? and the SOGC policies and the AOM guidelines. And where would one find hospital policies about stuff like this? On their, web, um, not on their website, for sure. Not on their website. It, it would literally, I only know about them because I have so many clients that go through the hospital and the hospitals say, this is our policy. Once you're in there, they're very happy to tell you what their policies are. Mm -hmm. um, so again, recently had a VBAC at, um, Sunnybrook Hospital had a doctor announce this is policy, which was having a, an epidural on arrival for a VBAC, um, which is fascinating because I've actually never had someone admitted with an epidural for a VBAC at that hospital. And it had never been kind of verbalized before. I'd had doctors tell that my clients prenatally, well, you should expect to have this and expect to have this. But once we get there, it's like the nurses are awesome. They're just like, if you're not asking for it, we're not getting it for you. Um, so like consent based really with the nurses there was really great, but I had this one doctor who came in policy, 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 risk, 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 risk. And then my client ever so conscious, you know, just carefully saying, yeah, I've decided against that, but thank you. <laughs> but um, really asking your doctor what the current policy is. And I always send a client in with that. Here's what I know to be the gold standard. Do your policies line up for th with that? And if not, what do I need to expect? So sometimes if it, I know that the policy is not fully in line, giving the clients the questions to ask so they're not blindsided. So when someone asks me, what does it mean? Because I really don't like the phrase either, to empower someone with information or to empower someone's birth. 
I can't empower you. You have to empower yourself, but I can give you access to information that you can use because information is empowering. In, listening to your intuition is empowering. It's, it's this one piece of the puzzle. So if someone wants to go look for a policy, call the hospital, literally call the desk, the labor and delivery desk um, and say, hey, I wanna find out what the policy is on this. Where can I access that? And then it's internal. So it's not on their website, but they can internally send you policy for guidelines of care when someone arrives on the floor with X, Y, Z. Um, but these are internal memos, internal pieces of information that are different from hospital to hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those policies will say, this is our policy and right attached next to it is, and here's how to let a client know that it's a choice. Some hospitals require care providers to give them the policy, but also let them know the decision is up to them. Mm-hmm. Others don't require that if they're care providers. They only have to require you to tell them what policy is without the full informed consent discussion. So if you're looking for actual gold standard guidelines, um, one of the, some of the best gold standard guidelines and with communication is on the Association of Ontario Midwives Guidelines. And you can look up either the handouts, which are like for the clients, which is like the Coles notes version of things. Or if you wanna know what the actual recommend, medical recommendations are, you can download care guidelines, which are technically for midwives, but at the end of each section, it says, what is the recommendation for the gold standard of care? And it's each section has its recommendation and you can look at that recommendation and use that for, well, does that, you know, how much weight does that have for me? Do I want to do this, that or the other thing? Because recommendation is one piece, medical recommendation, evidence, who gives a fuck? Sometimes your intu- intuition, what you know for yourself is going to override it. Not too long ago, I had a client who was like the gold standard, you know, post poster boy for VBAC, for having a healthy VBAC. And at 39 weeks, they said, you know what? I need to have a repeat cesarean. I need to let go of some things right now. And the one thing I'm letting go of is the, the weight. I will feel better understanding the risks. And I know the physical risks, but intuitively, I know for my mental health right now, I want to work with my midwives, with the hospital to have a family-centered cesarean. I'm like, fucking A, let's do it. Let's look at what those pieces of the puzzle are gonna be important to you so we can communicate it with the staff. And so your midwife can communicate it with the staff because the midwife is not in charge in your OR. You have midwifery care, but they have to then communicate your needs to the the staff so that everyone can get on board for you. yeah, because information is one thing, but you know, intuition is just as important. Anyhow, your question was, where do you access it? Go to the aom.on.ca, uh, look up what you're looking for under their gen- their care guidelines, and you can pull it up. If you're looking for um, World Health Organization guidelines, you literally go to the World Health Organization. There is a oh, what's the name of it? The clair not the clarinet. The I'm losing my words. It is the newsletter basically that they send out that is the Coles notes or breakdown of current studies that support healthy care worldwide. Um, so things like you can find things on there about the breast crawl, the benefits of the breast crawl. You can find um, feedback guidelines. You can find current studies that are going on. But if you go to the World Health Organization, there is like a newsletter you can sign up for and you can get it. Mm-hmm. And um, you can find all sorts of the, the information guidelines and how it changes from country to country mm-hmm. because there's worldwide guidelines. And then there's an understanding that 
culture matters, um, approaches matter, clean water matters, all sorts of things change how those guidelines look. Right. So right. don't assume that one thing is for everybody. Yeah. <clears throat> Midwifery is even the same across countries, right? Midwifery is different yeah. in each country. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thank but that you. will help you reduce the need for hard conversations, I think, if expectation is there. Um, and you're able to offer information to clients, clients who want information, other clients are like, I'll do whatever my physician says I want to do. I don't want to be an active participant mm -hmm, in my mm -hmm. care. And that's fine too. Good too. Yeah. Wow. As always, a lovely, lively conversation. Pragmatic doulas know how to talk. We do. Excellent. Yeah. Guess what I found in the bottom of my purse? Gum? Dusty Mr. Big. Sorry, you just oh, found. What? I don't know. You're no. I don't know who you are. You drive me insane. Shit, damn it! No. I think I must have bought it when I was having like a bad moment, and I stuck it in the bottom of my purse. I didn't realize it was there. And then and this is like a two size one. Look, it's like yeah, I don't. There's two in there. I don't understand. No, you. see that doesn't happen. That never. It's like that meme people How have. Friends? What do you do with leftover wine? And then somebody else is like. What's that? Exactly. <laughs> what do you What do you do with a forgotten chocolate bar in the bottom of your purse? I don't know because that's never it's happened. Never happened before how, in my life. How do you forget about a Mr. Big, one of the greatest chocolate bars of all time, at the bottom <laughs> of your purse? What? Yeah. This it is like you going. I'm having my midnight snack of three almonds and a and a square of dark chocolate. Fuck off! I'm not my friends with you. I don't understand. <laughs> With a glass of red wine. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. All right. Unloved Mr. Big Chocolate Bar at the bottom of your purse, just sitting there neglected and forlorn. Mm -mm. All right. So um, we want to make sure that we are on the lookout for, um, we want to have a guest or couple guests on um we want to have a guest on who is doulaing in another country other than canada so yes. if you are, are a doula you? outside of the country of canada though i will admit i'll take somebody from the west coast for sure um of canada i yeah. I, I would do that because i mean i think vancouver's significantly different from ontario i feel like they're in a different world so they pretty much are <laughs> You could, if you're a Vancouver, if you're a Vancouver doula, hit us up. Yeah. So, so, you know, I know that we have, we, more than half of our listeners are actually from the United States. Um, we do have some from Australia, Great Britain. Um, if you are listening from a, what, if you're listening from another country and you're a doula, hit us up. We want to have you on and we want to talk about what it's like doulaing in your neck of the woods. All right. So uh, the pragmatic doulas at gmail.com or you can hit us up through Instagram is also good too. All right. Yeah. All hit right. Us up wherever. All, All right. right. I've got a postpartum visit to go shower up and get you. Um, I gotta go get my that's my day. All right. Yeah. I hope everybody's going to pick great up girl guide cookies oh. and pick and go see a client. Nice. I don't have any clients so, right now. I'm a little so, sad. Uh, the cleaners are here. Oh, oh. you gotta go. You gotta go navigate go that. 
whip them into shape. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Dobbs. All right. I hope everybody has a great day. The spring is here, people. Sun actually just came out. It's been yeah. so gloomy. So now it's out there. Trying now I'm going to be obligated to go out there. Damn That's it. right. Shit, All damn right. it. Shit, damn it. All right. <laughs> That's the name right. of this podcast. Shit, damn it. How to deal damn with it. criticism. How to handle criticism. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.